the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotograph's editor, Eno Saris. Today we'll be discussing another Cuban defector and wrapping up the first base crop. And of course, the big news and our most interesting player alive is Tim Lincecum, who re-signed with the Giants for two years, $35 million. Eno, was that signing a surprise to you? Uh, actually, I'd, it was a little bit because I thought that, uh, you know, I didn't think that there'd be much interest in him if they put a qualifying offer on him because, you know, if they offered him $14 million in one year, um, then the the teams without uh, protected picks would have to would lose a pick if they signed him. And I just didn't think that anybody would do that. But I guess they didn't want to risk the fact that, you know, he could be out there in a team with a protected pick like the, the Mets or something could just sign him for two and even you know even less than 14 but more years um so they just went out there and did it you know i guess if you look at it based on wins per you know you know wins wins above replacement it's not incredibly terrible i mean he was almost a two-win pitcher this year and if he did manage to do something like four wins over the next two years you know with uh, the extra money in baseball, it could be almost worth that. But it, it, it was a surprise to me. I was under the impression that he was probably going to get a one-year deal to prove that he's not done as a, a good pitcher. And $17.5 million, it seems like every single year the prices of players go up. And I'm always shocked early on about how much mediocrity is. Now, I'm not necessarily calling Tim Lincecum a mediocrity, but looking at his ERA, you might consider him. But in past years, it just seems like guys that you wouldn't expect to get big contracts are getting them, and then every year it seems to go up and up and up. And if you look at Lincecum, a 437 ERA this year, a 518 ERA last year, and he's getting $17.5 million a year. That seems crazy if you're judging him based on ERA, of course. Yeah, and I mean... The, the components were much better than that. I mean, he still got his swinging strikes. His curveball was great this year. Uh, I thought his curveball was great. His splitter is always great. And uh, he actually reined in the control a little bit and got it closer to league average. Um, so, you know, strikeouts above league average, uh, walks around league average, um, two-plus breaking pitches that uh, can get him strikeouts. And uh, a decent ground ball rate. I mean, all those things are great. The problem, of course, is the home runs. Yeah, and it's weird because you wonder how much that has to do with the loss of velocity because it's now happened the last two years. He's also had a problem stranding runners. But I remember in Cameron's article, there was a commenter that mentioned that the relievers allowed the runners to score at a much higher percentage than for other starters. So I, I think he had some bad luck in terms of relievers letting up his runners, which is why for the past two years, his left on base percentage has been below 70%. And that's one of our luck metrics. And so you have to assume that that's going to improve next season. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, for me, I focus on the home runs. If you 
Because, you know, even in that article, Cameron uh, cited his, his uh, ex-FIP, which, ba which basically takes your home run rate and makes it league average. So, you know, all those years where Lincecum had a below 10% a home run for fly ball rate, it would it treated him as, as a little bit lucky in those years. And then, you know, these last two years when he's given up 12 and 15% home runs for fly ball, it's treating that as unlucky. And the end result is, is is an XFIP in the mid threes. The problem with that for me is that now we have two seasons of it. It's not quite a career, you know, you, you know, five, six seasons. Then you can really believe uh, if someone is keeping their home run for fly ball rate low or get, or they've given up too much. But what I see is that his fastball velocity has dropped, and he never had good fastball command. In fact, in, he has some he has better strike rates on some of his secondary pitches. So you're talking about a guy who has a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. He doesn't always put it in the right place. And that sounds to me like a, like a recipe for extra home runs. Well, there's two things I want to mention. First off, if you look at his FIP, it was 374 this year, which assumes that his home run total is completely in his control. So even with that high home run per fly ball, that 374 FIP is still pretty good and much better than that 437 ERA. But then there's the other thing. We talked about this... In September, I think with Sabathia, wondering if there was any study done about a loss of fastball velocity and an increase in home run per fly ball rate. We saw that with Sabathia. We saw that with Dan Harron. We see that now with Lincecum. And I don't think any study really happened, but I believe somebody did it that I was talking to on Twitter or through the comments of an article. And they said that they, they tried some study and they found nothing. Now, I didn't actually see the study, and I don't remember who, who said it, but... This is something that I'm really interested in because it would make sense, but there are a lot of things in baseball that would make sense that when you look in the the stats, it's not actually true. Yeah, and I and I uh, I quoted the uh, uh, the the study that's on our on our uh, site that says that um, you know once you get over 94, um, you know there's a big difference, but between uh, 88 and 94, there's not that big of a difference. So, um, you know, he dropped from 92 to 90. And, uh, you know, but, you know, what's, what's very interesting to me is that I come back to this location thing. Because in, um, in this piece, it says basically that location, especially between the, uh, the range 88 to 94, which is, you know, I think about 80% of all fastballs are either or between 88 and 94. Um, when I, I did a study on the, the uh, Boston Red Sox against fast fastballs, and I did 94 plus, and 94 plus uh, gave, made up about 10 percent of the of the pitching population of the pitches population. So, therefore, I think 88 to 94 is probably about 80 percent of the pitches out there. Uh, location matters more than velocity, and I think that's why you the person if someone looked into it, they probably didn't find much, is because most people are dropping from 93 to 92, 92, 91, 91 to 90, and they're not dropping from 88 to 87. They're not dropping from 96 to 94. There are some that do that, but in, in most cases, location, location matters more than velocity. So therefore, I'd be interested, uh, when I was looking at this, I would be interested in looking at uh, control numbers and home run rates um, and uh, maybe edge percentage and home run rates because you know, I, I'm interested in how control and command relate to um, to home runs because, you know, 
It really is. If you're trying to hit the inside corner and you miss by four or five inches because you have bad command, that's down Broad Street. You know, that's that's a home run. Right. And, and the question is, I mean, Tim Lincecum has never been known to be a control artist, but he's never had home run problems in the past. So has he lost more control over the last two years? And then is Dan Harron also missing his location more? And the same as Sabathia. I don't know. Or maybe it was just one bad fluky season because – we call home run per fly ball a luck metric for a reason because it's luck involved. And in any given year, a pitcher could have an inflated mark or a low mark, and the next year it'll be back to normal. So we don't know. There's, there's certainly more to look into with that. Right. I mean, it, if it is all luck, then uh, Saban just made a probably a pretty great deal because uh, just three years ago, uh, yes, his fastball was 92 instead of 90, but three years ago he was a, almost a four-win pitcher. Um, and, uh, you know, that was just, that was only, that was 2011, you know, that wasn't that long ago. So it, it, there's a decent amount of upside, obviously to bet on. I mean, this guy's won Cy Young's, but, um, you know, I, I just, I do wonder because, you know, another thing is we can say that he didn't drop from 94 to 90, but he, he was a guy that, that averaged 94 for a while. So when he first burst on the scene, he was a 94 guy. And then even when he was a 92 guy, that's only your average. So that means that there are some pitches where he's missing his spot and maybe throwing it down the middle, but those pitches might be 94 because if you average 92, that means you're throwing some pitches at 94. So if you're averaging 90, you're probably not throwing a lot of 94-mile-an-hour pitches anymore. In fact, I don't think I've seen one in the last two years. Yeah, let me bring up his pitch FX max because I don't think he threw 94 at all this year. Let me look. Oh, 94-3 was actually his peak this year. I never saw 94-3. I was excited when he was actually hitting 92 two pitches in a row. Exactly, yeah. I'm like, 92, his velocity is up this game. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I mean, obviously, you know, he's a guy I might actually uh, consider like a quick hook. I I almost always, if I draft a guy, think, oh, I'm going to hold on to this pitcher and hold on to the bad luck because I believe I've seen it, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I might advocate, you know, you know, using a late round pick on him. And if he's giving up home runs in April, he's only going to give up more home runs in August. So, uh, you know, if you see a lot of home runs again, why not just move on? So you're still willing to take a chance, but it sounds like only if it's quite cheap it, toward the latter rounds of a draft or for a couple of bucks in an auction. Yeah, I mean, otherwise, otherwise uh, you are – you are paying for ERA in the end, and it, you know he can have all those strikeouts. But if he ends up, you know, giving up too many home runs, he'll still have a four-plus ERA, and he won't be useful in most leagues. Yeah, the, the other problem also is he's on the Giants, and the Giants' offense just isn't that great. And so you're gonna curse at his lack of wins. So even if he does have a good ERA and WHIP, he might not necessarily win more than 12 or 13 games, which really isn't that great from a starting pitcher. But with that said, I think I'm slightly more optimistic than you. If you say if you would stop at say four dollars in a twelve team mixed league, I would go five, six bucks. If you would take him in the fifteenth round, I might take him in the fourteenth, thirteenth. So we're you know, we're on the same page. I think I'm slightly more optimistic though. Yeah. All right, let's move along. It seems like this has been well, the last two years at least, the, the years of the Cuban defector. Is it just me or is like everybody from Cuba coming to the US all of a sudden? Mm-hmm. It's just you. <laughs> so our newest import is Alexander Guerrero, who's apparently going to be the newest second baseman for the Dodgers. He signed a four-year, $32 million contract. 
He's going to be 27 next season. And lucky for us, you actually were the one to write up the article on Guerrero when he signed, like, last week. So you obviously are an expert on this Cuban defector. Well, I mean, I've watched some video. Um, and it's, and it's, it's, it's so funny because it's like, it, it's just, it's Cespedes' video all over again. I mean, when Cespedes came out, he had this video where... I never he, got a chance to watch it. And I'm, oh, it was great. He was working out know. I, I'm, I'm lying. I did watch a bit of it, but it was long, and so I didn't watch the whole thing. I kind of just scrolled through it. Well, the one thing you might have missed at the end was that he was doing a pig roast at the end, which is just hilarious. <laughs> I mean, super useful data right there that he likes pig. Um, but um, Well, hey, you know what? That proves that he's not going to be a vegetarian, and we don't have to wor- wonder about him like we wondered about Prince Fielder. <laughs> but... Um, you know, so I, I I actually didn't get much from the video. There's not much to get there, except, you know, I have heard, I did read it in some accounts, I didn't write this in the piece, but I re- did read in some accounts that he's worked on his body since he uh, left Cuba and that he tried to get faster and leaner. Wait, worked uh, on his body so he can be America's Los Angeles next top doctor? <laughs> well, I mean, he, I'm just saying, from the video, he looks, you know, decently cut. Wait, he's and, he's white. What do you mean? He he's white because I I just I, I didn't play the video I just see the the beginning the the screenshot and he's white. Is that uh, he's lighter skin? Yeah, he's Cuban. Uh, but I would, you know he's not Chapman. Um, but anyway he uh, he um, he uh, uh, he might you know he has a thick lower half and so that's why people that's part of why people don't think he can be a sec uh, a shortstop and it's also part of the source of his power. So if he if he did sort of thin out a little bit and, and, and um, you know, maybe he can steal a base or two or maybe, you know, uh, maybe that'll help him play second base. Um, these are not I, – like, I don't know. I think you're going to own him for power. Uh, from you know, what I see, he's a bit of a pull hitter. Mm-hmm. Um, his Davenport translation, which is a, a respected um, translation but uh, has produced some weird results recently – um, was for a 250 batting average and like a 480 slugging. Of course, you would take a 480 slugging from your second baseman, but um, the uh, Jose Abreu Davenport translation had him slugging 660. <laughs> and uh, since then, I've gotten a, a new number from Brian Cartwright for Jose Abreu uh, that has him slugging 480. So That's uh, a big drop. That's a big drop. He, he basically went from Bonds to Kendrys Morales. Um, so <laughs> I would say that, uh, I'd be more comfortable putting like a 400 slugging on, um, Guerrero on Guerrero. And so therefore, um, you know, a, a 250 batting average and a 400 slugging, I mean, and no speed. No, I don't think there's any speed. So I think, uh, I think you're talking about a little bit better than Mark Ellis. So I, uh, I'm not, I'm not diving in mixed league. Well, you know what I'm thinking? Uh, a comp I just came up with was perhaps Jed Jerko, kind of like uh, the maybe a less powerful version, maybe like the J.J. Hardy also of second base where you're not going to get a batting average, but you get 15 to 20 home runs and uh, similar slash lines. I think that's what you're hoping for. Uh, I think that would, be, that would be decent. I mean, yeah, I mean, so uh, Jerko this year, 250, 300, uh, 444. I think that would be a really good result uh, for them. You know, 23 homers, one stolen base. It'd be valuable. Um, it would be a, a roto 
a mixed infielder, even in probably uh, a middle infielder in mixed leagues. So that's uh, that'd be a good result, though. I think um, I don't think I would pay, you know, because that's not great upside, and I don't I don't think he has much more upside beyond that. So then, therefore, I don't think I'd pay, you know, big prices because I think the risk is below that. Yeah. I mean, what about his speed? Does he have any of it? Is there a chance at five to ten steals, or is it Jerko and Hardy, one steal, and that's it? Uh, I mean, for the for the most part, the um, the scouting reports say that the speed isn't really part of his game, but uh, let me pick up his, uh, his, his, his numbers here. Um, I also wonder where he would bat in the lineup. Uh, how familiar are you with, like, his uh, his walk rates and his plate discipline is he going to be maybe uh, the number two hitter with Crawford leading off or is he going to be at the bottom of the lineup? Because I think that's going to make a big difference on his projections and his his potential fantasy value. They uh, they have him producing zero steals. Um, I'll have to look at his real stats, but uh, the translation for his steals is zero. That's not good. Uh, of course, the translation that has the 480 uh, slugging percentage has him hitting 17 homers and 300 at bats, but that's the number that I wouldn't believe. So let me just look at the uh, real numbers. And you know, just a, no- a moment about the Cuban players. The thing that's so hard about it is they have 16 teams, and uh, it's a country of uh, it's a country of, uh, of um, 10 million people. So it's really like similar to Florida having 16 pro teams um, and uh, everybody playing on them from, you know, 14-year-olds to 40-year-olds. Um, so you've got, you know, you've got total – apparently they throw a lot of junk because, you know, there probably aren't a lot of like hard fastballs except for the, you know, the rising stars. And uh, so you're seeing a lot of junk. And, um, you know, sometimes and, and apparently there's seven, there's 16 teams, but there are 60 to 70 parks that they play in every year. Are you kidding me? That's crazy. No. So Orlando Hernandez once had his game shifted from regular stadium uh, to the psychiatric hospital uh, <laughs> they played in that stadium. And those stats counted. So, you know, if if. Uh, if uh, Puig was playing there that day, he might have hit five homers. Wait, wait, wait for this. That must have been a sick game. Oh. We need a soundbite for those. <laughs> but I'm ching. Yep. <laughs> uh, no, it's anyway. Guerrero stole zero bases. Um, and um, in terms of walks versus strikeouts, uh, let me see here. BBSO. All right. So equal amount of walks and strikeouts, which is a, a good sign. Um, but, um, you know, 42, uh, 42 strikeouts in something like 330. So yeah. Okay. It's not bad. contact. Like basically a 12% walk rate, 13% strikeout rate. That's what it sounds deal. like. He could be the number two hitter considering Mark Ellis was, so they don't, they clearly don't expect much from their number two hitter. And so, and also, second baseman hit second. It's a rule. Exactly. And so, Guerrero, it seems like he might be the guy in the number two hall, and that's a pretty decent position. So, I mean, he could get his sixty to seventy RBIs, uh, 80, 85 runs with fifteen to twenty home runs, 
maybe batting you know 260 or 270 or something that's that's not bad i mean i think that's worth a flyer toward the end of uh, a 12 team uh, league i mean it, it, the amazing thing is that puig actually overshot his um uh his projections yeah and, he overshot uh, everything yeah so but he was also the youngest i mean i think he was uh 20 when he defected um and uh Alexander Guerrero is 26, so he's hit. He's coming right at his peak, which is actually something that's useful for these guys because, um, you know, they're they're coming right at their peak. They're they're coming over right at the right time, um, and so that you know whatever he does next year, you can't even really bank on it that much going forward. But you know, if there was a year to own him, it'd be this year because he would he'd have to be cheaper than he would be if he broke out. And uh, he's going to be 27 next year. So, all right, let's finish our first base discussion, and we'll start talking about somebody who is clearly beyond his peak, Albert Pujols. Who would have thought that he would have ranked 35th among all first basemen in value this year? He's going to be 34 years old next year. I published an article this morning uh, about every single metric that he's in steep decline in. What are you doing with Pujols next year? Uh, I guess I gotta, you know, watch watch what everybody's doing. I mean, I don't, I'm not gonna count him out yet, um, completely. I mean, I'm, I, he's not on my don't draft list. Um, of course, you know, because everyone has a price, and uh, I think that he could. I mean, for example, uh, Prince Fielder <coughs> this year. Hit 279 and had 25 homers. Uh, are you telling me that you think there's no way that Pujols could do that? Yeah, I think that would be a, a fair projection for next year, maybe with a peak of 2012. I find it hard to be any more optimistic than what he put up in 2012. 30 home runs, 285, 105. That feels like the peak kind of projection to me that – would just be gravy and, and something unexpected at this point. All right, so um, so basically he could be uh, Prince Fielder this year, or he could be uh, a little bit less than David Ortiz. That makes him anywhere from the that would have made him this year anywhere from the tenth best first baseman to the fifth best first baseman. Yeah, I mean. Obviously, also the concern is that he's just getting older, more injury-prone. The injuries continue to wear on him, and he either continues to decline further, or this year's production is now the new Pujols, and he's now like a, a low 20 home run guy batting 260, and his steals are completely gone, and that's just not that great anymore. Yeah, which is why... I mean, I'm definitely not going to be excited about him, and I cut him in my auto new leagues. Even though, you know, now someone owns him. I had him for like 36 or something. Now someone owns him for someone actually picked him up and owns him for like 23. Um, I just felt like I'd rather just not have. I'd rather, you know, have the chance to get some prospects and just not have him on my team. And I didn't think I wanted him for like 25 bucks. So. Um, you know, auto new prices are different, so I, I don't want to mess, mess, mess people up. But, you know, would I buy him for five bucks? Sure. I mean, Prince Builder this year returned 12 bucks. So would I buy him for eight, nine bucks? 
Yeah, I think I might still. I mean, because if I bought him for less than twelve bucks, I would feel like, you know, there's a chance he can he can return me twelve bucks, and there's a there's a chance on top of that he could return me fifteen, sixteen, seventeen bucks. But I'd rather pay in that sort of eight to ten range um, if I'm going to pay. And I would have a feeling that there's no chance that he's going to go that cheaply, because he's still Albert Pujols, and I think there are going to be at least a couple of people in any league who are going to pay for a hoped-for rebound. Because, again, I mean, it's not like he's 38. He is 34, which, yeah, it's over the hill, but it's not outrageously so. It's closer to 30 than 40. And and some might think that it might just be injuries, and if he's healthier next year, that uh, a full rebound, maybe back to the 35 to 40 home run level, might be in the cards. I mean, how much do you think injuries have played a role versus age? Oh, I mean, I, th- I think it's huge. I think the, you know, he was playing through plantar fasciitis even last year. Yeah. And uh, and he added some back and leg woes. So I, I think those definitely have a lot to do with it. The problem is, of course, you know, those, you can't say if he's fully healthy because now he's established that's part of the package. You know, nothing predicts future DL time like past DL time. So, you know, you know he's still the same. He's still getting older. He's still a year older. So even if he was, uh, even if he had the surgeries or whatever and, and fixed the plantar fasciitis, you know that he has like a partially torn UCL. Like he could, his elbow could go. So um, there's all these different things that could go wrong. And it, you know, even if he fixes one thing, there's another thing. I mean, that's what old age is. You know, I my ankle feels better, but now I have had bronchitis for three weeks. You know, so uh, you know this is what age is, and I think. You can't really, and then, and then I would say to the people who love our Pujols, you know, and I, I have some love for him, and maybe if I get, if I like, need some power, and I, and I, and I feel a little iffy at the back of it, I might push it to the like the fifteen dollar range if I really think, you know, there's a reason I need him. But you know, look at David Ortiz. This year, David Ortiz hit thirty homers, drove in hundred and three RBI, and had a three oh nine batting average, and even stole four bases. <laughs> so. You're saying if you pay $20 for Albert Pujols, you're saying he's going to do better than that. If you pay $20 for Albert Pujols, you're saying he's going to be better than Edwin Encarnacion. He hit 36 homers this year with 104 RBI and 272 average and stole seven bases. I mean, Edwin Encarnacion is, you know, I don't know how many years younger and is in the, in the midst of a, of, of, a, of a stretch of seasons like Albert Pujols used to have in terms of power. And uh, and Albert Pujols is beyond that, so I don't I don't know. I'm not paying twenty dollars for him. I'm not paying, you know, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen dollars for him. You know, maybe I could be convinced to get in a bidding war with someone around thirteen and fourteen. I might price enforce in order to get him over double digits. If I'm in a league where no one's bidding on Pujols, I'll stick in it till ten. You know, but uh, okay. here's a question. Assuming that price is of no object and, and you offered either of these two players in the same round or the same price, Albert Pujols or our favorite sleeper, Anthony Rizzo, who do you take? I guess I picked a good one. Well, I mean, for all the stuff that we're saying about Anthony Rizzo, you know, having 30 home run power, he hasn't done it yet. And Pujols has done it. So, you know... It's really hard, though, because those they're so at, you know, one's on his way out and one's on his way in. That's why I picked him. 
But the one on his way in hasn't really done it yet, you know. So maybe Anthony Rizzo's peak is 275 and 25 homers. Well, that sounds like our, you know, our our reasonable projection for Pujols. Uh, but I think Anthony Rizzo's peak is way beyond that. Uh, his strikeout rate is still pretty good. Good enough that with uh, a slightly lucky Babbitt, I think he could hit 290-300. And I think he easily has 30 home run upside. Yeah, but, I mean, we're talking about, we're talking about one year. But for yeah, for next year, I think ultimate upside he can hit 330 home runs for next year. Come on, he's over Pujols, <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, we're talking about percentages, of course. I mean, I, we're we're talking about percentages, likelihood of these two things. But I would say that even though all the signs point to those things being possible for Rizzo, you know, we're still saying they're possible. You know. Whereas with, with uh, Pujols, it would be something he did uh, two years ago. I think I might lean toward Pujols simply because he's on the better offense, and that'll help his runs and RBI numbers. At its current state, the Cubs' offense stinks, and, and that's just going to hurt his counting stats in the run and RBI departments. And, and so for that reason alone, I think I would lean toward Pujols. But in terms of average and home runs, I think it's going to be fairly close. And, and Rizzo at this stage is probably going to steal a couple of extra bases. Well, and then you bring Price back into the discussion after um, you, you have a, a conversation like that. And then it, it probably becomes much more likely that Rizzo is available for seven to nine bucks and Pujols uh, gets inflated past 15. So, you know, one thing I might do next year, um, you know, at the risk, you know, you're always in, a, in an auction. You're always you're, you're trying to decide when to throw a guy. Because if you throw him um, too early, then people have money and they, they can stay in on a, on a bid with you. And if you throw him too late, then people are desperate for uh, certain situations. They might not have a first baseman and will spend more of their – Oh, left. yeah. Yeah, that, that type of situation I've happened so many times in my local auction league. It's outrageous because everybody knows who's the last good player at a position. And it, it gets crazy. It will be like a – $10 player that get bid up to 20 bucks. Actually, this happened to me this year. Desmond Jennings, I had valued at 13 bucks. I had a lot of money left. He was the best guy available. I spent like 23 bucks on him. And I'm like, well, at least it's Desmond Jennings who has upside to actually earn that value. He didn't, of course. But yeah, that's the type of things that happen that it really depends on when you throw a player out. And so normally, and normally I would say throw Pujols first, get the money out, right? You know, get someone to spend $20 on him. Um, and then uh, and then move on to Rizzo and, and get him for cheaper. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm increasingly in, in tougher leagues, leagues with sharks and stuff, and, and they might uh, they might not, not like Pujols, and they might not bid a ton on him, and they might actually become a value for me at 10 or 11 bucks, you know, and maybe Rizzo's the one that, despite his bad numbers last year, gets bid up. So I might actually throw Rizzo first. And the other thing... So, you know, okay, Rizzo's going to go for X amount early or, or, you know, he might go for X amount late and he might go for X plus two early. But I'd rather see what that number is, uh, what X plus two for Rizzo is, uh, before I uh, go into Pujols. Because if Rizzo's on the table and Pujols is at eight, nine, ten bucks, I'll be like, eh, maybe I can get Rizzo for less. But it would suck to pass on Pujols for eight, nine bucks and then get in a bidding war for Rizzo for 15 bucks. I mean, I would hate because, you know, I, we're valuing them pretty closely and I'd hate to pay $15 just because he's younger. Yeah. The other thing about throwing Rizzo early 
And of course, it's probably going to be different in every league. But the theory is, is that if you throw a guy who's kind of borderline top 12 at their position, all the fantasy, all the other owners in your league are to say, eh, yeah, I like Rizzo, but I don't want to already fill my first base slot with like the 12th best first baseman. I want to wait. I want a better first baseman. So I'm not going to bid. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, but Freeman's out there, and Ortiz exactly. is out there still, and yeah, yeah. So that's a theory of when that could work. Now, again, it depends on your league. You could have lots of Rizzo fanboys in your league, and it's not going to work depending on the specific player. Yeah, if you're that's playing in Chicago. Although, if you're playing in Chicago, they may hate him. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. All right, let's move along to Eric Hosmer, who had a complete rebound year that looks almost like identical to 2011. And uh, it just shows us the, uh, the the yo-yo effect of Babbitt because his Babbitt went for 314 his rookie year down to 255 back up to 335 and the question is is he ever going to start hitting more fly balls to show 25 30 home run power I mean judging from the conversation we had no <laughs> because dude does like dude does not think about his game the way other people other people do. I mean, does not think about his way in the ga- his game in the way Joey Votto does, for one. I mean, you know, I asked him about ground balls and fly balls, and he, you know, gave me a blank stare and <laughs> told me he's paid to put good wood on the ball. So, um, I mean, if that means that he thinks that line drives are key, um, then, I mean, I guess it could be a studied thing. But he's been below average in line drives. And actually... Um, I heard that the line drive, the average line drive rate went up this year, um, and that there's some weird park things going on. So I, w- I guess a 22% line drive rate this year is pretty good, but um, I have a feeling that it may not be as good once we know a little bit more about the average line drive rate this year. What was intriguing is I just checked his batted ball distance. Hosmer ranked 26th overall in baseball at 297 feet, which I had no idea until I looked that up. And and that suggests major upside to that 13% home run per fly ball ratio. And if he could ever get that fly ball rate up, combined with the good strikeout rate, that looks like 30 home run upside. But, I mean, there's a lot of things that have to happen here for him to reach it. But we've seen players kind of reverse their ground ball and fly ball rates. We know it could be done. It's not often, but it could be done. And so one of these years, I don't think it, – it, it wouldn't shock me if he was a 330 home run guy and gives his owners lots of profit. Well, I mean, Billy Butler did hit 29 home runs one year. Um, but the problem is that you, if you wanted that from him, you had to pay for Billy Butler all those other years too. So you paid for Billy Butler, you know, five times, and you got 29 homers one time, and the rest of the time you got 18. Um, so I, I I remain skeptical about him. Um, and I did just notice uh, the the line drive rate this year, the average line drive rate, line drive rate this year was 21.2. Oh, that's high. Which is high, and it's the first time it's been over 21%. So, um, you know, yes, okay. I, I like, you know, I Hosmer makes me feel like schizophrenic because we've been yelled at for our ranking of Hosmer from both sides, like forever, you know, Oh, you idiots. Eric Hosmer's like terrible. Why would you even rank him? You know, why would you even rank him on first base? I mean, he should go unranked. He's terrible. Oh, you idiots. He's going to hit 30 home runs this year. Why do you, why do you guys have him so low? 
And like forever, I've just been evaluate. I've been valuing him as like a, just as a shorthand, two eighty twenty ten. I mean, I know he hasn't really put those numbers together in one season, but that's sort of how I I, I put him in that bucket, two eighty twenty ten until he he changes something. And you know, he, maybe he can improve his ground ball rate. But I would have thought that we would have seen some uh, uh, some of that already by now because he's done three full seasons. And you know, for example, we looked at at Hayward and we said. Oh, Hayward, great power potential, hits too many ground balls. When's he going to hit fly balls? And then he did. He started hitting fly balls and he hit a bunch of homers. You know, we said the same thing about Hosmer and he hasn't done anything about it. So um, if you if you and I are going to be bidding on him and I'm paying and I'm bidding on him for 280, 2010, then I'll stay in the bidding. But if, if you're bidding on him for, you know, 325 or 30 homers, then uh, you, you're going to win him. Yeah. And the other concern is that. He gets a lot of his value from his stolen bases. I mean, you don't normally get 10-plus steals from your first baseman. So that's something that adds to his value that it's not as easy to see. Because you look at him as a 15-20 to 20 home run guy from a first baseman, you're like, I don't want that. That sucks. But then you have to remember, you have to factor in those 10 steals, which is equivalent to probably like 15 home runs. So think of him more as a 30 home run guy with zero steals. Suddenly he looks better, but his value is the same in either configuration. However, I would say that uh, the that power is more year to year stable uh, on that level. You know what I'm saying? Like you took the words right out of my mouth. That's where I was going with this. Is yeah. that whenever I see guys who clearly aren't speedsters, like a Nick Markakis, a Carlos Lee, who earlier in their career they were pretty good base stealers and they had average speed and they stole the 10 to 15 bases, that's gonna disappear at some point. And I would hate to be owning him the year where he goes from 11 steals to three. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Carlos Lee did it uh, when he turned 32. Oh, so that's, that's a lot older than Eric Hosmer. Yeah, Lee. but, I mean, he was stealing 20 a year uh, for a while. And there was one year, uh, he must have had a leg injury or something, but uh, in 2002, when he was 26, he went from 17 stolen bases to one. <laughs> and then the next year he stole 18. Um, I mean, Hosmer could steal 10 bases a year until he was 30, I guess. But, uh, you know, another thing that came out of that interview with him, he said he doesn't think about stealing bases. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't hone his craft. He doesn't do, you know, stolen base practice. He doesn't think about the pitcher's moves. You so, know, do realize that you're now reducing his perceived value to me to become undraftable out of all the things that you've said about Eric Osmer during his interview. The stolen base thing is the thing that's really getting to you? No. Oh, he doesn't think about his batted balls. He doesn't no, think no, no. Base. He's I'm like, damn, I don't want to own this guy ever. Yeah, I really think he's kind of the, a Babbitt guy, you know what I mean? Like, I think he's just, uh, he feels bad when he when they're not hitting, they're not landing, and then he feels good when they're landing. I, I don't, uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know about him. I don't know about him. You know, I, he, if you don't think about stolen bases, what you're doing is you're stealing bases when the pitcher's not paying attention to you. Um, and if the pitchers start paying attention to you, then, you know, it's the last year, you know, he stole 16 against one caught stealing in 2012. Pitchers probably didn't think of him as a threat at all and didn't even look over. Um, and then this year he stole 11 against four caught stealings. You know, maybe that four becomes seven next year. You know, and then and then maybe his his manager says, "Oh, I don't know. Maybe you should uh, think about base stealing a little bit more." And then he's like, "Ah, fuck it. I just won't steal bases." Oops. 
All right, let's move along. <laughs> On that note, sorry, kitties. Uh, we are going to talk about a player who I, I literally forgot existed. And and that's Mark Teixeira. Only 53 at-bats because of injuries. And how old is he? He is going to be 34 next year. So the same age as Albert Pujols. He obviously, when healthy, should be the Yankees' first baseman. He's signed through 2016. Is he somebody that you would be willing to take a chance on cheap? Or are you just like, forget it, let somebody else deal with him and his potential rebound or potential 250-20 home run injury-prone season? I'll probably pass, and it's mostly because he's the anti-Joey Votto. Um, I mean, we actually brought his name up when we were talking about this theory about pull and shift. And we and basically, you know, the reason that uh, Mark Teixeira has, you know, over the last four years a, a, a BABIP under 270 is because people realize he pulls the ball and, he, and he's been shifted a lot. Um, and I think that's hurt his batting average a lot. And I don't know why, you know, David Ortiz gets shifted, but he still hits 300. I guess, you know, David Ortiz has a better strikeout rate, but... You know, uh, I don't know. I I, uh, I would for real cheap. I mean, he's coming off a season where he didn't play at all. So, you know, I think he could hit 250 and 25 homers, and I think that does have value. Yeah, it's just not worth a whole lot, but it's definitely worth a cheap gamble in the late rounds, I would say. Because, I mean, he didn't – if you look back – if you ignore 2013 and you look back at 2012 and – the last couple of years, his ISO has still remained well above 200. He's still maintaining a strong high teens home run per fly ball ratio. So there's no obvious chinks in the armor just yet, and we we didn't we don't know what he would have done this year because he barely played. So you kind of just have to completely throw out the tiny sample of this year. And if he could ever manage near 600 at bats again, that is still close to 30 home runs. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it is a nice uh, park for him. And, uh, you know, 30 home runs would mean a lot of RBI. Um, so, I mean, like I said, I try not to have anybody who's not on my do-not-draft list until unless they just, like, tore an ACL in spring training, you know? Yeah, and I think Teixeira is going to be one of those guys who's a boomer bust. For those who take a chance on him, he could end up bringing those – people to a title because you get him for a buck and he, he returns to glory. He earns 15 to 20 bucks or he's just another year older and he's more of a 20 home run two forty hitter and he's basically replacement level. So it's lots of different scenarios here, which I guess is not that much different than Albert Pujols. One thing that I like, you know, one thing that I, I could see me doing is um, I could see me doing something like Rizzo and Texera, um, Teixeira because you know, if I could spend between the two of them ten bucks, right? Um, I could buy Teixeira and Rizzo for for you know eight, nine, ten bucks, or I could buy um, Eric Hosmer, Mark Trumbo, or Mark Trumbo, right? And they're gonna cost a lot more than ten bucks. And, uh, yeah, they're gonna cost more. So, or I could buy for ten bucks. I'm trying to get one player who would cost ten bucks. Um, Alan Craig. He returned eight bucks this year. Billy Butler. 
Yeah, Billy Butler. That's a good one. All right, so Billy Butler, who actually only returned two bucks this year, but let's say you can assume that Billy Butler will hit closer to 300 and hit like 20 homers next year. That would be the kind of projection he'll get. And 320 homers would actually have put him worth eight bucks. So let's say uh, the Billy Butler projections are for 320 homers and eight bucks of value. So he goes six, seven, eight bucks and maybe maybe up to 10. Or instead of Butler, I can get Rizzo and Teixeira. I think I would do that because um, there's a chance that I get two guys that are worth that. And there's a chance I get two guys that are even their sort of baseline um, projections are better than Butler. And then there's a chance I get two $15 guys, which, you know, that's worth. I don't even think that Butler has a chance to be a $15 guy. You know what I mean? So there is there there are some pairings that i like at the the back end you know like a brandon belt anthony rizzo or i mean even that one's a little bit riskier i i could take a veteran like a napoli plus a rizzo or a, or a, you know a swisher plus a rizzo you know like two different kinds of approaches to the position that would still leave me with uh, a good chance of a double digit dollar first baseman spent that i spent less on or you can go really crazy, Boomer Bust, and go Pujols and Teixeira. Oh, I, I, oh Pujols and Teixeira. <laughs> uh, well, hey, I, I feel like I feel like that's not bad. I mean, of course, it depends on what the money is, but if you got those two for fifteen bucks, I mean, you can get sixty, uh, fifty to sixty home runs with decent, pretty good RBI and run numbers because they're both- just. Batting in the middle of a good batting order, so and you just have to hope that you just have to hope that uh, you'd have to hope that they weren't hurt at the same time, <laughs> which which is quite the possibility. But you know what? Both Pujols and Teixeira have had relatively healthy careers. It's just been recently, so it's not like they've typically been injury prone. That you're taking the chance that. You know, they're going to suddenly be healthy. I mean, Chase Utley has been injury-prone. Teixeira and Pujols have not been. It's just been a recent thing. Yeah, and, you know, honestly, when I'm looking at this at this uh, pile of first basemen, um, I think I'm going to wait. I think it's going to be a good position to wait. Um, you know, I think we'll see some uh, positions. So far, we've said that on, on catcher and first baseman, and so you can't wait on every position. But if I can't get Paul Goldschmidt, um, who I think is legit, um, you know, uh, Edwin Encarnacion might move the needle a little bit for me, but David Ortiz is old. Freddie Freeman, I think, is pretty close to his his um, to his uh, ceiling. Yeah. Matt Carpenter is not going to really even. I don't even know if he's going to be first base eligible. Uh, I think Joey Votto's might be uh, an overpriced guy at this point. I mean, I don't think he's a thirty home run hitter, and so you're just basically paying for batting average. And uh, you know, Michael Kudair is old, and I'm already at number eight. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's no I, – yeah, I think the first base position, based on age and injuries, has fallen off considerably. You know, and I think, you know, Prince Fielder with a 279-25 uh, homer line was worth 12 bucks and was the 10th best. I wouldn't necessarily improve that line much in terms of projections. You know, I don't think he's going to be much better than that. Now, if you take some of the guys out that aren't necessarily first baseman, you take Daniel Murphy out – because you would play him at second. You take Matt Carpenter out because you play him at second. Then Prince Fielder becomes the eighth-ranked um, the eighth ranked first baseman. Still, eighth-ranked first baseman, $12 value. You know he's going to go for 25 to 30 bucks just because he's Prince Fielder. 
And I think that's the same for Joey Votto. And I think the same for Freddie Freeman. So I just, I think a, a lot of these guys I'm going to pass on. Yeah. Again, the top tier of first basemen just don't seem to be as good as they have been in past years, which basically suggests that it's probably better to go a little cheaper at the position and maybe then get a Robinson Cano or you know, a top guy at shortstop or something instead. Yeah, I really do think that's the truth. All right, well, that's a wrap, folks. So join us again next Tuesday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.